All right. All right. Take your Bible, turn to Genesis chapter 1, if you're following along with us in your phone, your Bible. I'm, I'm excited, but I'm loaded up. i got to warn you, it's, it's, we're loaded up with lots of stuff. You can literally preach the entire Bible from anywhere in Genesis 1, 2, or 3. You can talk about the whole Bible. So, uh, y'all ready? <laughs> so that ain't funny, huh? We're going to talk about message 2 in our Genesis study, In God's Image. All right, so... We've, I'm hoping you're reading through Genesis 1. I'm going to ask you to read through Genesis 1 and 2 again next week. Lord willing, we're going to get to Genesis 2 coming up next, Sunday, uh, next Wednesday night. Um, the Bible's meditation literature. So it's not something that you like read like a Tom Clancy novel or something like that. and You just put it aside and say, I read that. The Bible is meant to be mulled over, thought about, conversed about, read and reread and read and reread over and over and over. How many have had the experience that you read something in your Bible, maybe a story or a chapter, but the next time you read it, you see something you didn't see before? That was all of us, doesn't it? I call it reading it again for the first time. Reading it again for the first time, that's right. I'm convinced he's still writing some stuff in mind, so I mean, I didn't see some of that stuff last time. But that's the nature of the Bible. It depends on your walk and your season of life and what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life at that particular time and moment. He illuminates certain things at different times, and it's amazing. So, so when, when I ask you to read something over and over again, I don't want you to be like, well, I've already read that. No, no, go back and get, do it again. Just keep, keep on, keep on meditating through it. All right? All right, so Genesis 1, we, we've covered a part of that. I wasn't real satisfied with, with all the stuff we had to leave out, but just time doesn't, doesn't help us. It's not our friend sometimes in these studies. Genesis 1 is not a, is not a scientific explanation of the complexities of the universe. Okay? You notice in Genesis 1 and 2, you don't get all of your questions answered about who, what, when, where, how, how much, how long, how, you know, all, you don't get those questions answered because the Bible is directly speaking to a, a specific set of issues. It's not talking about everything. It's talking about some specific things. So the Bible's not a scientific explanation, although the science that it does cover is true, but it doesn't cover all the science. The Bible is a revelation. It's Genesis 1 is a revelation of the might, majesty, and the wisdom of God. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's meant to leave us, as we read that, in a posture of worship towards God. It's meant, you're meant to read Genesis 1 and go, wow, that's something else. You know? And then you, get, you can get into the details and all that you know, and, and, and dig it all out. But, but you know, people ask me all the time, well, what about evolution? Well, what about it? It's, it's not in the Bible. Okay, the Bible does not speak to evolution. Now, I've got some thoughts and theories on some things. Um, we're not sure how long Adam was in the garden by himself. We're not sure how long Adam and Eve were in the garden before they fell. We're not sure time frames. We're not sure all that kind of stuff. You know, there's a lot of mystery still involved. And, uh, you know, when we get to heaven, we, everybody got a list of questions they're going to ask God when they get to heaven. I got a feeling when, when we see him, we we're going to forget about all that. <laughs> I, I think so. That's right. So, so now, the main detail that I, I'm getting out of this that we're to see in Genesis chapter 1. Now, just dealing with Genesis 1, the main detail we are to see about Genesis chapter 1 is God. It, it's Him. I mean, He is going to be the main character. I mean, He's going to bring us front and center as well, but He is the main one in the story. And it opens up with him. In the beginning, God, right? That's how the story opens up. And it's a story about God and his dealings with humanity is what it's going to turn out to be. But the main detail of Genesis 1 is God, okay? And this God has unlimited power. And his word is powerful. He speaks and things happen. He speaks and light comes forth. He speaks and things come into order. He speaks and things separate. He speaks and things are created. You know, that kind of thing. This is, his word has unlimited power. Now, as a person of faith, following God, is that going to be important to me to know that his word has power? Absolutely, because he's given us his word as a covenant to us to show us his power and what he wants to do in our life. So I'm going to have to go into the rest of the story with that understanding that his word changes stuff. And I'm going into it with hopes that it will change me, right? Because his word has unlimited power. And this is a God who can absolutely do anything. I want you to get that out of Genesis 1, at least that much. He is a God who can do absolutely anything. And he's also a God you can trust. Okay. Now that's going to come under scrutiny in Genesis chapter 3 because the enemy is going to come in and he's going to call that into question. 
But the Bible is telling us over and over and over again that this is a God you can put your trust on in. You can trust him. In fact, if, if the Bible has one message, if we could sum it all together, it would be, trust me. God, God's saying to everybody that reads, trust me. Trust me. All right? So we, we see God in Genesis 1 as the supreme creator and ruler of all things. He's supreme. All right? Now, now listen to this. He's, he's got some preachers, though. That's what Genesis, Genesis 1 shows us some of his preachers. He's got preachers everywhere. All right? I'm not talking about just people like me. Listen to what Psalm 19, 1 through 6 says this. I love this passage. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Who's their voice? It's the creation. He's talking about, he said, the heavens. You look up into the heavens and you see the glory of God. And they are preaching a sermon. God's got his preachers. They're called stars. It's called the moon. It's called the galaxies. It's called the creation. It's called trees and birds. Doesn't Jesus refer to a lot of that kind of thing? Uses trees and birds. Why? They're God's preachers. They're declaring his glory. All right? And, and you don't, it don't matter if you speak Swahili, you speak Turkish, it don't matter if you speak Arabic, it don't matter if you speak Hebrew, Greek, it don't matter if you speak English, it don't matter. There's no language. That, it's a language that everybody can interpret when they look up. And it's a message that is constantly being preached to all humanity, far and wide, right? It says this, their line, I'm talking about all creation, their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoicing like a strong man to run its race. That's like, that's talking about sunrise, right? Sunrise. It's like a groom saying, there's my bride. I'm going after her. Here it comes. (laughs) I'd like the picture. Its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. All right. So God's got his preachers everywhere. Genesis 1 talks about he created these things to show forth his glory. Now, if we go fast forward to the New Testament in Romans 1.20, Paul says this. He says, for since the creation of the world, he is God's invisible attributes are clearly seen. You see the, the poetic connection right there? That the invisible God is clearly seen through his creation, right? Being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they, that's us humans, we are without excuse. Hmm. And if you lay underneath the starry sky and look up, your mind ought to go, who did that? You know what I'm talking about? You walking through the woods and looking at all these trees, and what is, what's a tree anyway? Well, I know what we know is a tree, but what's a tree? I mean, it's, it's just an idea in God's mind, and he made a tree. A bird, what's a bird? I mean, they're amazing, majestic creatures. Amazing. You know, humans, all these humans. I mean, some of the craziest things you've ever seen. <laughs> Just some incredible creatures, ain't we? <laughs> you know, it ought, it ought to make you think about God when you see some folks, but it's all right. No, it's... <laughs> no, it's... So, so God's got his preachers, and, and his preachers are very effective. And they are laying down the line... To where all of us are before God, we're without excuse. At least to have that much faith that he's a creator. All right? All right, so now. So there's a phrase that's used repeatedly in the scripture. Just talking about this idea of God creating in the heavens. There's a phrase throughout scripture. We, we don't have time to go and search it all. But if we had time, we, we, could, we could reference each one of these. It says that God stretched out the heavens. One place it says he stretched it out like a curtain or like a tent to dwell under. That kind of thing. Now science... Science, now, I like, I like true science because it's, it's just a process of discovery. It's not a process of trying to get politics and all that kind of crazy stuff done. Science is a process of discovery, right? It's where you do testing and trial and all that kind of thing, and you try to discover. Science now, through all the telescopes we've got and all the stuff we've got, uh, anybody been up to Huntsville lately, up to the museum up there? Or the, the NASA thing and all that kind of stuff? Uh, anybody seen some of the pictures on the Hubble telescope and all that kind of crazy stuff? That's kind of one of my little hobbies. I like to do that kind of thing. 
Now look, look at some of the idea of what we found out that is stretched. God has stretched out the heavens. And you know what science is telling us now? That he stretched it out and he keeps on stretching it out. That somehow or another creation is still happening. I mean, not, I mean, just all over the place. It's just light just keeps going on and creation just keeps going on forever and ever. Now look at this. Look, th- this is a picture. It's, it's, it's a bunch of different pictures stitched together. It's a deep view of the universe. It's like if we were to zoom out on everything, that's a picture of the universe. Now, you know what all those little bright spots are? Those are galaxies. They are finding out that in the cosmos, in, in the heavens, there are billions of these galaxies. And now what's a galaxy? Well, a galaxy has billions of stars in it. And God somehow stretched it all out. Boom. It all came out of his mind. It all came out of his mouth. Isn't that crazy? And he stretched it all out. He likes it. Now, I, I, I watch a lot of documentaries that would probably bore most of y'all to tears. I, I, I like to watch a bunch of science stuff, but they don't, I mean, they, they usually go into evolution theory and things like that, but I, I go to Genesis 1 theory. That's, that's where I go to that idea. And so I, I can hear all their, their stuff that they're saying, and, and it's, they're some really bright people, some really smart people. I don't know how they don't make the connection. Some of them do. Now, don't get me wrong. Some of them do. But they're talking about like, see like that, that black stuff that connects everything together? That's like dark matter. It's not like space. Space is, is, is like, it's not just emptiness. It's like stuff that holds stuff in place. It's amazing. I mean, it's weird. It's weird. And now, now I saw something just, just last night. I was watching something. And uh the scientists, they're, they're doing this big, huge computer model of, of the universe, and they're, they're doing a reverse engineering and trying to get down to see if they can find a point of, of origin, see if they can find out where it all started. It all had to start somewhere now. It did start. And you know what they're finding out? They're saying that their models keep coming down to that the very first thing that there ever was was light. I was like... You don't need three verses for that. <laughs> I didn't need a PhD for that or a big old telescope. But, uh, you know, it, it's just amazing. I love that kind of stuff. Now, here's, here's, here's our neighborhood. This is where we live. We live in somewhere around this, this, this outer edge of the Milky Way. All right? And, and if you, like on a clear night, like right over here in the sky this time of year, right, right in there, if it's real clear at night, I, you can see this, the haze of the Milky Way. It's amazing. It's It's amazing. This is one of our closest big neighbors. We got a bunch of close small neighbors, but this Andromeda galaxy. I mean, look at that. I mean, that's that's a, that's billions of stars in the the warp of that galaxy right there. Here's my favorite one right here, the Sombrero Galaxy. They got out there and they found a bunch of Mexicans living out there, and and uh, <laughs> that's a bad joke. You get you you get in trouble for that kind of stuff nowadays, don't you? But they call it Sombrero Galaxy just because it looks like you know it's got, it looks like the brim of a sombrero kind of thing. But uh, I, I had a friend who was an artist at my church in Georgia, and he was just a fabulous guitar player and artist and everything. And he, he painted, in my spare bedroom, he painted, a, painted me a picture about this big of the Sombrero Galaxy. I got it. So, so when we get to travel all these places after we get our new bodies, I'm, I'm going to go there and I'm going to check it out. <laughs> the Bard Spiral Galaxy. Look at all this. It's just a few of these. Things. I mean, just a couple of them. You know, Cartwheel Galaxy. I guess they called it Flipping Over the Universe. No, that's, that's actually a, some, some kind of dying star that kind of went around it and made a halo kind of deal. And that's where some of y'all are from right here. Uh, the warped galaxy, you see? It's got that warped kind of twist to it. It's a, just amazing, all right? So now here's where the New Testament takes us. The New Testament takes us into a, a whole nother leap right here, all right? John, John the Revelator, John the Apostle, he says this in John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning, where have we heard that before? Hmm, so this is a new Genesis. That's what John's saying. This is a new beginning. In the beginning, new way to talk about it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. 
So this is John's creation story right here. And his thing, he's, he's pointing out this, this one called the Word right here. Verse 14, we fast forward to verse 14. It says, and the Word became flesh. So that Word that was, was with God and was God or is God, this Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So the New Testament makes this leap. That from Genesis 1, we've got this, this idea of the Creator. Now, John 1 begins to tell us that the Creator came, put on an earth suit, stepped among His creation to communicate to them and talk to them, be with them, and redeem them. You see what I'm talking about? That's where the New Testament comes. Now, that's, that's stuff that will, I mean, you've you got to understand some of that's wild. And you got to understand how the apostles would react. You know, what if somebody walked up and said, you know, they, they were God in the flesh? It would be a little hard to take. But when you started seeing them walking on water and healing people and doing stuff, it, it kind of becomes a little different scenario. All right. So the God of Genesis 1 is the Jesus of John chapter 1. You see what I'm talking about? Didn't, didn't, didn't I say something last week about the way to understand the Bible? The key to understanding the Bible is Jesus. That it's all written of him. We, we read some scriptures later. It's all testifying of him. He is the key that unlocks the revelation. All right? Everybody good? So now we're going to zoom in to Genesis 1, 26 through 28. All right? And just spend a few minutes talking about this. So there's, there's one invention that God seems to be fond of, really fond of, and it's the humans. And in fact, it's like there's one story that talks about the angels look into all this and they can't see what God sees in all the humans. <laughs> they get kind of, what, what's he seeing all them? You know, that kind of thing. So on the sixth day of creation, the human project begins. All right. So th this is where we're going to come into play. All right. This is a story looking, rewinding all the way back to our, all the way back our ancestry, all the way back to the first man and the first woman. All right. Genesis 1, 26, 28. Now, we're going to read this. Now, next week we're going to get in Genesis 2. Genesis 2 gives you a little bit more information as they step into Eden. God places them in Eden, all right? 26. Then God said, sixth day of creation, God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle. Over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. All right. Well, that's a mouthful right there, right? I'm just going to tell you, I, I need about four weeks to unpack all that. All right, we're going give to give it a shot tonight. All right, so now, the description about the humans has to do with their purpose and responsibility. Right? That's going to tell us a little bit of something about us. That what we need more than anything else is purpose and responsibility. We need that more than anything else. That's what God is going to say. He, he, he's telling, who, telling us who we are. And why we were created. You notice that there are no physical descriptions given. Why? What do you think? Why are there no physical descriptions given, you think? God. So if we were writing it, what would we say? God, God made Adam. He was six foot two, brown hair, six foot two, eyes of blue. Looked like he was chiseled out of rock. We would spend all this time on his physical appearance because we're kind of obsessed with that kind of deal. There's no physical descriptions given. In fact, very few. Now, there's a couple of times, you know, it says about Saul. Saul was taller than everybody, head and shoulders above everybody. Every now and again, you'll get a, a description of somebody. But very few times does the Bible talk about somebody's appearance because the most important person, the most important part of a person is not the part you see. You know what I'm talking about? It's the part that's on the inside. All right, so now, keeping this thought, your physical appearance your skin color, which people are just absolutely obsessed with that nowadays, aren't they? Skin color and their gender, all that kind of stuff. They're absolutely obsessed 
assessed with height, weight, eye color, your physical appearance, all of that kind of thing are, are not the core of what makes you a good person. Right? Skin color ain't got nothing to do with it. Right? The most important thing for us to know is who created us and why he did it. That's where Genesis 1 chimes in. Who created us? God did, right? God created us, right? Is that going to be important to me to know that? Is that an important piece of knowledge that I need to, to operate in this world? There ain't no doubt about it. So that means I'm not a mistake. There may have been some crazy circumstances that got me here, but I am not a mistake. God created me. He brought me here, put me here. And now why did he do it? Well, we got, we got to find that out. We got to discover that. That becomes real important to us being the humans that God wants us to be. So now the glorious thing about us, there's three things that I see right here. The glorious thing about us is our connection to God. It's our good character. And it's the carrying out of our responsibilities. That's the glorious thing about us. Now you break down any one of those things and we don't become, we're not glorious anymore. Some things begin to break down. In fact, sin begins to break down all of that, doesn't it? We'll see in Genesis 3 and then the story just moves rapidly through Cain and Abel and all those things and the flood and all that. We see that all three of those things break down rapidly. Right? People lose connection with God. Character goes to pot. This is all probably happening in all of our lives as well. We lose the good character. That's part of who we are. That's part of what God made us good. In fact, he said over us on the sixth day, it's very good. And then responsibilities. We... People shrug their responsibilities, shrug them off onto other people, neg- neglect them, or fail to discover them. You know, But if you have a connection with God, you have good character, and you carry out your responsibilities, this is what it's like to live in paradise. you got somebody to live with. That's God. You're forming. You're, you're becoming a good person. You've you got good character. That's important to people. You know that? That's important. You know that guilt and shame are the number one psychological problems in humanity? You know why we have so much guilt and shame? Mostly because we're guilty. We've lost that good character. It's called sin. And who's been eaten? Who's been bitten by that snake? Everybody. Everybody. And responsibilities. Everybody's got to have a reason to live and something to do. Everybody's got to have it. I don't know what your, your responsibility is, but everybody's got to have something to do. If humans that don't have anything to do and don't, don't step into responsibility, they absolutely die. You know what I'm talking about? All right, so, so he, he starts off this, verse 26, it says, let us. Let us make man. Let us. Who, who is us? You know, it's kind of a weird, weird thing. All of a sudden, there's a us in there. It said, in the beginning, God, and now there's a us there, right? Who, who in the world is us? Well, us is the word Elohim. It's, it's one of the, the titles given to God or the, a name given to God. Name and title are often interchangeable in the Bible. It's, it's the name Elohim. It's, it's in the plural right there. So that's, that's why it says us. It's in the plural. In the beginning, let us. The word Elohim means mighty one it has to do with god's power god's might right so why is it plural what'd you say paul I said it's why is it plural well scripture will reveal later that god is this fellowship of three persons three separate beings three separate persons who are one and this this we ain't got time to unpack all this so no questions please <laughs> you know, the old, pre- old, old joke in the preacher world is uh, explain the Trinity in, in five minutes, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's a lot. That's a lot. No, I welcome your questions. I'm just joking about that part. But that God is this wonderful fellowship of three. They are one, yet three, and they are three, yet one. And it's just like this mystery of God. Now, the scripture reveals to us, and Jesus is the one that brings all this really to bear, that God is Father, Son, and Spirit. You see what I'm talking about? So back in Genesis 1, if we go back to the us, who is the us? Well, it's Father, Son, and Spirit. It's the Trinity, what we call the Trinity. Now, that word's not in the Bible, but the concept is, the idea is. Trinity just meaning three, tri. You remember tri? Tri, unity, Trinity, tri, 
three unity together. Trinity, kind of them. All right. The three are all here in Genesis 1. The Father is present. The Son is speaking. And the Spirit is... Remember what the Spirit was doing in creation? What was the Spirit doing? Over all the face of those waters that were covering the earth, the Spirit was hovering over them, right? All right. See. So that, that's the let us. All right. So now he says, let us make. Let us make. Let it, let's create. Let us create or let us invent. Invent. God invented humanity. God invented stars. God invented suns. God invented galaxies. God invented creation. God invented animals. God invented creeping things that creep on the earth. What does all that mean? That's all them crazy things we're trying to get rid of sometimes now. They've all passed through the curse now. Now they're a nuisance sometimes. But God invented all these things around us, including us. So he said, let us make or... Literally, the idea, if you're getting like concrete word in the Hebrew, it speaks in a lot of pictures. The Hebrew word for the idea of make is to fatten or to fill up. To fatten, almost like you, would, you, you had a cow that you were going to feed for slaughter. You fatten him up. That, that's the idea of make. You make him fat kind of deal. You, all right, so now the scripture is very plain. Okay, A lot of theories about creation floating around. Every religion has one. All right. Science has one. Science apart from God has one. It doesn't say man evolved. It says that man was created. You see what I'm talking about? Now you, you can... So there are even Christian people that believe in the theory of evolution. But you can't get that from the Bible, really. Now, there again, I, like I said before, now we don't know as far as time frames. And, and here's one of my theories. This is just, I wasn't there at creation, so I, I, I don't know. But, but if you were to see Adam at creation, you would look at him and think that he was about a 30-year-old man. But he was just born. He was just made. He was 30 years old. If you were to look at the earth as God made it and formed the mountains and formed the land and all the dry land and all the seas and put all of creation into it, and then you were to go and take all of your formulas about, you know, like the Colorado River cutting through the Grand Canyon, and, and if it cuts down, you know, this, this much a year, then we go back and it's gone down a mile. Okay, well, good Lord, that thing's been there for millions of years. Well, what if God took his finger and carved out that canyon? And, you, and he did that on day one. What if that's the case? What if all the things that we see is process of geology? Now, there are processes of geology now. But there's also, God created the earth mature. You see what I'm talking about? So if you were to step on the scene as a scientist and you were to look around, you didn't know anything was going on, you'd look around and observe, you'd say, oh man, somebody's been working hard. This is, this is in pretty good shape. This has been here a while. You see what I'm talking about? So it's really hard to get timing if you understand. Any dead trees? I'd like to go with fresh and vibrant, maybe. Mm-hmm. I, I would think it was all good, yeah. It's all good. So, so they, they see, there's all kinds of creation stories out there. See, back when I was in school, a little bit before. My time, it, it, this, this picture started. You see this picture? This is the evolution picture. All right? Monkey, 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 something, something, and a man. You see what I'm talking about? And they got names for all those kind of things. Funny how they really hadn't found any fossils. They, they find things and they think it's something else and they say, oh, no, that, that is a monkey. You know, they find all kind of stuff. But, and Lucy and all that stuff, they, you know, they found all kind of stuff they say. But you're going to have to make a choice as a Christian. Are you going to believe that story or are you going to believe Genesis 1 and 2? It's the same problem that the Hebrews had in Egypt. You know, they were in Egypt for so long. Egypt had a creation story and it surrounded Pharaoh and all of their gods and all the things that were going in in the creation. They had a creation story and all all these other stories. And the Hebrews had to choose, are they going to believe this story or are they going to believe God's story? Now, here's one of the reasons God said he got them out of Egypt is because they began to believe the other story. They stayed there so long. Okay. But, you know, this, this monkey thing. I've always wondered, if we evolved from monkeys, then why are there still monkeys? I, I always have wondered that. I don't, I don't know. You know? Hmm. All right. Now, 
thought I had something else here. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I, I'll, I'll come back to that evolution thing in a minute. All right, so God said, let us make man. All right, now when we think man, we think gender. Okay, now that word is, is not a gender word. Okay, that word is the word Adam, and that word means human being. In this context, that word means human being. So in, let us make humans or human beings. So that name can be used as, as a, 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 of course, the first human is going to be named Adam. So God names the first human, human. <laughs> he does. Okay, got it. All right, so now the word Adam comes from uh, the word that means ruddy or red. It's like, it may have been speaking of his complexion from the dirt kind of, kind of thing. It, it, it's related to the word ground, dirt, and earth. Okay, so Adam was a earthling. He's an earthling. We're going to see that Adam's made of two parts. We're going to get to Genesis 2. Adam's made of two parts. He's made of earth. That's why when, when, whenever I really want to get close to God, guess where I go? I go outside. Now, you, I, you can find him inside. He's there too. I'm talking about me. I, I feel a special connection with God when I'm in creation, and I feel a special connection with who I am when I'm in creation. You know why? That's part of me. I was made from that stuff. But that's not all I'm made from. I'm, I'm breathing the breath of God. So I'm made from earth, and I'm made from God. All right, it's, we'll get to that more next week, Lord willing. So there's this ground thing about Adam. Adam is part of the, humanity is part of the ground. God takes the dirt, we'll see it in Genesis 2, and forms them. All right, so that makes sense to you? All right, and let, let's make them in our image. In our image. All right, that's an interesting word right there. It means a representative figure or a shadow like if I had a light right here and it was casting on that wall right there, that's, that's my shadow casting on that wall. Okay? It's not me, but it is a representation of me. All right? Now, interesting, this word image is one of the words in the Old Testament used for the word idol. Okay, what does God say about idols? In the Ten Commandments, what does he say about that? It's top two. No graven images, no idols. Don't make any idols of God in, in the form of any kind of animal, anything that's created. Don't, don't make any form of idols of who God is. You know, you know why God said he didn't want us to make idols? Because guess who the idol is? It's supposed to be us. So what, what happens if you worship idols, you not only misconstrue God, you, you're going to misconstrue who you are. You're going to be lost. All right? So now this, this idea of image. Here's, here's the big idea right here. God made humans and put within them a shadow of himself. Put within us a shadow of himself. Go back to that idea of makes, to fatten or fill. God fattened us with the shadow of himself. Hmm. So God made humans to be his representatives. So we're talking about why were we created? Well, we were created to be God's representative on the earth. All right? Now, here's a quote by C.S. Lewis. Anything you can read by C.S. Lewis will bless your soul. He's the Narnia guy. You know what I'm talking about? God made us, invented us as a man invents a machine or an engine. A car is made to run on petrol, and it would not run properly on anything else. Now God designed the human machine to run on himself. <laughs> How about that? I like that. I like that a lot. All right, so now, let, let's put in a couple words here, just, just in, in our passage in 127, and let's, let's read it together, all right? So let, let's read that together. And I'm, I'm going to insert, these are just the definitions here, okay? So God created or invented man, Adam, the humans. In his own image, in the image of God, he created or fattened or filled them. And we know that he filled, filled us with the idea of who he is. Right? Male and female, he created them. Hmm, so now we got two. Now, this, it's interesting about these two. 
these humans are two, but we're going to get in Genesis chapter two, and we find out that these two are still locked up in one. And now God says to this one, now you become two. And then he looks at them two and says, now y'all become one again. <laughs> Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> That's what marriage becomes about. And uh, you, you know how hard it is for that to happen. So now God made the humans male and female. Right? So now right away, we see the equality of man and woman in Genesis 1. You know, been a lot of a lot of scriptures used to to put down women in a lot of, lot of churches and organizations, and that's not right. The Bible always exalts man, and it always exalts women. You see, Jesus, what what does he do when he finds somebody? When he finds a woman who who's, who's desperate or in trouble, what does he do? He helps her. He doesn't condemn her. He helps her. He meets her right where she's at. So now we're equal in importance. Man and woman both are equal in importance and worth. You understand that? But we're different in expression and function. Now, you just have to kind of say that kind of stuff nowadays. I mean, that's got common sense. But you've got to kind of say that stuff today because people have lost a grip on this idea, haven't they? Totally. Just the depraved mind thing. All right, so we're in the image and likeness, it says. Let us create the humans in our image and our likeness. Now this is, this is interesting. I just sit down and I started thinking back through Genesis 1 about what is God like? What do we know God is like so far? Just in this chapter. What do we know God's like? So, Because in order for us to know who we are, we got to know who God is because we're made like Him. We're made to be like Him in a lot of ways. All right? Now we got limited things, but, but we're, we're very similar in His likeness. Right? He is the Creator. And we humans are creative. You know what? In fact, some of your best moments that you can remember were creative moments. Whether it was building a house, a work of art. You know what? What's a child do when, when, they, when they create something? I mean, it can be just something on a piece of paper. What do they do? They, they bring it to you. Why do they bring it to you? They're proud of it. Why are they proud of it? Well, that's part of our nature. That's part of our nature is to create and to, then, then to share that creation. Who's that sound like? Oh, that sounds like God, doesn't it? So you go ahead and get that thing and hang it on that refrigerator. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you just turned it all kind of way. Well, yeah, okay, I see that. Dog. Yeah, okay, yeah, there it is. I see it now. But, you know, there's something in us that, that has to be creative. And that's part of our nature. And it's part of that God-likeness kind of thing that he put inside of us. Those creative moments, the, the birth of a child, you know, that kind of thing, you know, those kind of creative moments. And they, they can go from the, the, the most simple of things to the biggest of things, right? So here God speaks and things happen. Ah. So what about us? Well, speech and complex logical thought is what makes us unique from all the animals. You know, the fact that, in fact, the Hebrews call us the, the, the speaking spirit. That, that's what humans are. The, the one thing that separates us is the ability to speak and communicate and think. Now, animals can think, and, and yeah, I, I wouldn't call what they do speech. They do communicate, but it's not the same as humans, is it? So the speech, the speaking part, and things happening, that's unique about us. So God brings light into darkness. Then Jesus calls us the light of the world. So there's something about that becoming part of our nature. So God brings order to chaos. He organizes things so that they function properly. And we're called to do the same. You ever, you ever watch that, that, that show Hoarders? You ever watch that stuff? With just chaos everywhere. I mean, you walk in there and the, I mean, there'd be a stack of garbage and Ziploc bags six foot high. Just walking through something. I, I, I mean, stuff caught... Just okay. I wasn't being personal, but y'all go ahead. <laughs> All right. So, so what? That, that's what's wrong with folks that do that kind of thing. What's something wrong with them? There, there's something mentally wrong with them, or <laughs> there's something wrong. Am I keep going here? Should I keep going? You need to skip this 
understand. I understand. But but you know that, that there's a there's a hope issue in that. When you get things organized, you can it, it, they function better. And it takes a lot of stress off of you. You know? And we're called to do the same. You know why? Why do you think that they hired you on that job? So you could bring that nature of organization and putting things together and getting things done, helping things function properly. You can bring that there. And, and if you cease to do that on a job, what do they do? They get somebody else because that's what they got you there for. That's what we need humans for. We need humans to help make things go and things work. You know, somebody said something about America one time. Somebody coming from a third world country. They said the thing that separates America from their country is that everything works. Plumbing works, electricity works, people work, all the systems are up and running. Everywhere they go in their country, things were broke down. And I'm going to tell you, part of that is built upon the Christian ethic of we are to take responsibility for what we are given. See what I'm talking about? All right. We'll move on to the next one. <laughs> so God's the one who imparts life. And so we, we do the same. We procreate. Physically, but we also impart life with our words. The scripture is very plain about that, that there's a power in your words to give life to people. So God is wise and he's able to calculate and think and we potentially can do the same. And I say potentially because not a lot of people do that anymore, it seems like. But we potentially have the ability to use our brains to figure stuff out. He's a benevolent king. So this is image and likeness. God's a benevolent king. He provides, he sustains, and he gives. And we're called to be generous kings over our domain. We are to provide. We provide for our household. We're to provide for ourselves. We're not to be dependent on people. Not unless you have some sort of severe disability and you can't help it. And then we're called as God's people to help take care of you. But all in all, if you don't take care of your own, the scripture says that you're worse than an infidel. You know, you're worse than somebody who don't even know God. Why? Because it's, it's in our nature to provide. And to sustain. And, and then to give generously. That's, that's in the, the ideal nature of the way God created man. Right? He desires a partnership and fellowship. And we do too. We, we have to have fellowship. We need partnership. You know, we're going to find out in, in creation. There's, everything was good. There was one thing that was not good. What was that one thing that was not good? Adam was alone. Hmm. All right. So now, the last of it all here, the likeness. God's in the doing good business. And we're called to good works. Make no mistake about it. That's a connection back to the Genesis 1 idea of what humanity is to do. We're to do good. All right? C.S. Lewis again. Another quote. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Everybody you come in contact with is an immortal. Think about that. Hmm. So God blesses them. All right, we're about to wrap this up. Getting close. God blesses them. Now here we see the partnership becoming in the picture. Now here's an interesting thing about this word bless. This word bless, it literally means to kneel before in order to give a benefit to. That's, that's the picture of the word, to come before. Like you would come before a king and you would pay your respects or you would give them a gift. You would do something to add to them. That's the idea of bless. So God comes and he blesses Adam and Eve. He blesses the humans. He blesses them. And it, it tells us that a real key component to life and living is living in the blessing of God. Now, do we have any other story that talks about the blessings and the cursings? The whole story begins to talk about some of that. All right? So now, the humans are given this exalted position with a lot of responsibility, and God speaks a blessing over them, and this blessing is meant to empower them for the rest of their lives and for all of humanity. All right? Now, he says four things. To be fruitful, to multiply and fill the earth, to subdue, and to have dominion. All right, give me just a couple minutes and we'll, we'll unpack all that. So to be fruitful. So God places in, in the humans, in us, God places in this blessing. The Part of the blessing is to be fruitful. He places in us a drive to succeed. 
He places in us a drive to flourish that we have to produce. There's, there's something in us that we've got to make the world a better place than it was when we showed up. That's in us. That's part of our nature. That, that be fruitful thing. All right, there's lots more we can talk about that. And Jesus talks about being fruitful. He says to multiply and fill the earth. Well, I believe that's a direct command to bring other humans in, into being. You know, to multiply. All right. And, you know, Adam's going to live 930 years old. And he's going to, and, and, you know, those guys that live so long, it names a few of their kids. And then it says, and they had sons and daughters. You think about how many kids you could have for 900 years. Lord, that's a, how are you going to do Christmas? I mean, that's just going to, that's going to be rough, ain't it? All right. There's lots more to, to be said of those things. Then he says subdue. That's an interesting word. He says subdue, which is the idea of conquer. It's the idea of protecting, that, that kind of thing. All right? now, now, could God with that one word be hinting that there's an enemy coming? Ah, maybe so. To watch yourself. Watch yourself. And then the last thing he says is, is to him is to have dominion. And he lists all the fish. And, you know, the first thing he says to have dominion is, is over fish. That's why we go fishing, ain't it, put? There's something about that. Makes us feel real manly. <laughs> yeah, it gets, it gets you out of that organization. <laughs> now, this have dominion, this is kingly language. This is real important. This is kingly language. So now, okay, go back to my evolution picture. You see the monkeys? And now we've got Genesis 1. So, so now, this have dominion thing. Are you going to believe the story about the apes? Or are you going to believe the story where the king of creation crowns you as a king over your domain? Which story are you going to believe? And now let me ask you this. Is the story that you believe and put your faith in is that going to have any impact on your behavior in your life? So if we tell people they came from God, that their roots are from God, their roots are in God, their life is in God. If we tell people that their origins are in God, they came from God, they are God's idea, God brought them to a person, is that going to affect a person's life? Is that going to affect their psyche? Is that going to affect the way that they view themselves? It's going to exalt them, isn't it? Okay, now let's tell them we, they come from monkeys. Or started off as a slime ball that crawled out of something, grew into something, turned into something, and then only the strongest of those species survived. And then they got upright and then they started monkey stuff. My theory is if you tell people they came from monkeys, they start acting like them. And I don't know if you've ever been to some of these schools and inner city places and places that are absolutely chaotic. People don't act like humans. They act like animals. Because that's what sin does. Sin takes you away from being more of a human to now becoming more of an animal. So, the story matters, doesn't it? So how are you doing with your kingdom? So God's delegating. He's saying, have dominion. How are you doing with your kingdom? Now, here's the thing about humans. We don't know what, what they look like. I mean, they, they had the shape and form that we do. But we don't know exactly what they look like, Adam and Eve. But we do know why they're here. And why did God shape it up like this? Why did God shape the story? See, God knows this about you. God knows that one of the things that helps us thrive as humans is responsibility. And you, in order to have a fulfilling life, you have to do something meaningful with your life. God knows that. People struggle with that every day. They go to counselors to try to find out what that meaning is. So we've got to find that out. We've got to discover that. It's found in God. He'll help us. You know, all this about dealing with responsibility. This is why laziness and irresponsibility is strongly spoken against in Scripture. Because you have lost your humanity when you lose all that. Right? So now, 
the last of the last in Genesis 1. We're seeing the ideal for humans, for us. This is why we were created. But there's, there's a big problem that comes. And that'll come in Genesis 3, but I want you to see this in light of what we just read in 26, 27, 28 of Genesis 1. I want you to see this. Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I want you to see this in light of, of, of the passage we just kind of quickly studied through. See, the idea of sin is, is missing the target, right? So see, God had a target. God's got a target for all of us humans. And that target is for us to, to be fruitful and to multiply and to have dominion, to subdue and to be these kings on the earth and these queens on the earth. God has this idea. And you know what happened? Everybody missed that mark and they fell short. Listen to this. They fell short of the glory of God that he had for each individual. That we've all fallen short of that ideal in Genesis 1, 26, 27, 28. You see what I'm talking about? Does that make sense to you? And now Jesus comes along and it says this, that he is the image of the invisible God. Hmm. When you see words like that and you've read through Genesis 1 and 2, it starts to make connections. Oh, Jesus comes as the real human. To help save the rest of us. Who have fallen into that trap. You see what I'm talking about? And what Jesus wants to do. He wants to save us out of that down spiraling madness of missing the mark. He wants to save us out of that. And then restore us back to our original purpose. You see what I'm talking about? That's what salvation is in the scriptures. And so now in Christ, I now become a man. You become a woman, ladies, who is learning again to have dominion, to subdue, to be fruitful. You're, you're becoming that kind of human again. That's what Jesus does for us. All right? Are y'all good? Have I blown all your circuits? All right, I'm done. I, I'm really not done. I, I'm really struggling on, on how to... To fill in some of the gaps because we're having to skip through a lot. So we'll, we'll see what we can do. All right? Questions? Good? Let's pray. Our Lord, we need your help in all of this. Uh, you're the only one that's got this thing right. So we certainly need your input. We need you to help us. We need you to fill us. Fill us with your spirit. Mm, that, that means something different now. Fill us with your spirit so that we can be who you created us to be. Thank you, Lord. That's not just a religious experience. That's, that's, that's so we can have the human experience. So we can have and be who you called us to be. and We can fulfill the responsibility. and We can find the meaning and the purpose that you intended for us as individuals. Help us, Lord. Thank you for this story. I pray you'd help us to continue to grasp it, uh, continue to unfold it and understand it, and begin to, to put faith to it, Lord, and to begin to trust you. that You know all along what you're doing. We bless you, Lord. We thank you. Help us to see you. Help us to walk with you. In your name we pray. Amen.